So uh, it's good we're able to come together in the things of the Lord and share not only the testimony of the things we have, but equally um, the future that we look to in the things of the Lord. I'm going to talk about uh, choices today, and I'd like to amplify the fact that there's only two choices ever need to be made in this world. And I'm going to explain why there's only two choices, and we're going to open up. I don't know if we can get the words up on the screen today, but we'll see how we go. Uh, Matthew 4, verse 8. You might have a look. Um, I do have the notes I'm reading from. They're on top of the stage. If you want to get a copy later, feel free to come and take them. It's got all the references. But uh, we're looking in Matthew 4, verse 8. And the world we live in today has us making more choices than at any other time in the history of humanity. So many options. So many ways we can divide our time and our interest down. And for many people, they've never had so much on their plate. But the point I want to make is, despite the thousands of options you and I face every moment, there's actually only two choices that we make every day. Two types of choices. We're either choosing the natural part of our decision-making for life, or we have a spiritual choice. And a lot of people get so busy making choices that because they've made 20 or 30 decisions in the day, they think they've done it. But we have spiritual choices that need to be made equally. And if all you've ever done is made natural decisions for the day, natural options, you've only made one choice. And that one choice is not about living forever. That one choice is about natural life, natural survivability, natural benefit. Oh, sorry, the verse is verse 8. Uh, Matthew 4, verse 8. We might have words. There are some people who like to lip-read. That's why I put my mouth against the microphone. <laughs> Very confusing. Anyway, sorry, sister. Here we go. All right, now, Jesus Christ, of course, led us with many examples about good things. And one of the strengths... Uh, of what he did he was able to cut through very complex issues and just boil whole of life issues down to one sentence or two sentences or a, a little parable or a little story and he'd get the whole message of life and choices in one go and this is one opportunity where Jesus spoke and we keep in mind that when Jesus was speaking here no one understood what he was about to say this was new to all of them. There might have been some principles which are consistent with their religious upbringing, but for the bulk of the people, they really didn't know. So he explained it in a way that whether the educated people were there, whether they were elderly, whether they were young, that it, he explained it in a way that everyone could say, I understand that. that that's, I, I know the point. And that was the reason why he spoke like this. And he says here, right at the start of his ministry... Uh, I'd like to take for this again the devil taketh him up to an exceedingly high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and he said unto him I've got a choice for you I want you to make a choice today that's our theme choices and he said all these things will I give thee if you will fall down and worship me I'll give you everything I'll give you a choice now Satan on three occasions with three separate offers 
gave Jesus what appeared to be three choices. And each choice had a myriad of choices within it. In other words, there were multiple uh, decisions within one choice. If you would do this, you'd get, you'd get all this, you'd get that, you'd get this, you'd get the other. But Jesus didn't see it that way. He didn't see all the options of life. He saw one option. He could either do what Satan said or he could do what God said. So he broke all of his life down into two principal choices. That which is right and that which is natural and under that which is natural, there's that which is wrong in the natural realm and uh, totally against God. And his reply was, in verse 10, Then said Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, in other words, scram, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. So Satan came to him and said, I've got a choice for you. And this terrible choice he had, this world has been given the same choice. Every day this world has got the same choice and without even thinking they worship what Satan stands for. Not knowing. Because worshipping the things of this world and natural mindedness is actually the default position for the human race. You know what default means? The default position means that's the normal. That's where it rests. There's no other. You've actually got to change it. Now if you start your computer and it actually starts and comes up you have a default screen. That screen that comes up, that's the default. That's what it always goes to unless you change it. Humanity now has a default basis. Everyone is born to die. Everyone who's born is going to die. That's their default setting. They can't, show, they can't alter that by any natural decision-making process. That's the default. And anything we do in life, whether it be natural or family or work-related, it's all under that umbrella that you're going to die. And if you're a good person, you're going to die. And if you're a bad person, you're going to die. And if you exercise, you're going to die. And if you don't exercise, you're going to die. That's the way it is. That's the default position for the human race. So Jesus' message was that we don't have to be in this de default position. There's another way to live. And Satan came along fearing what would happen to his hold on humanity, knowing that Jesus Christ had solutions that this world needed but he couldn't offer so he made them these offers and the interesting thing was and we'll go to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 10 verse 14 just to make a point the interesting thing was that all the things that Satan offered Jesus they weren't his to offer how's that? it's like me taking you outside and saying would you like to buy one of these cars parked here? would you like this one? yes, oh, you can have that for $500 a black Volkswagen, probably only worth 450 but I'll let you have it for 500 And it's never been driven by a normal human, ever, outside of when Sue drove it. Okay? Now, you'd get a good deal for 500 bucks, wouldn't you? It's not mine to sell. That's the problem. Someone else owns it. And so it is with the promises of this world... Yes, you can make money, you can have property, you can do this, you can have children. All these promises, and many of them are intermingled with a whole lot of principles, but the reality is you can't keep any of them. Pharaoh thought he could keep them, so he built himself a, a, a huge tomb, a golden sarcophagus, buried himself, uh, had himself uh, put in that, then he'd have all his servants there and all his wealth and all lined up, and you know what? Uh, some thousands of years later they dig it up, and you know what? He hasn't touched it because he can't access it. It's a lie. He doesn't have the power of life and death. 
It's not his to take. So our choices, and this is the point I'm trying to make today, our choices in life are either we choose to live and keep on living or we choose not to live and our time will run out at some unknown point. But it will run out, that's a fact. They're the only two choices we have to make. And there's a consistency within making choices which God backs as opposed to what this world says. And this world is only a reflection of the, all the alternatives to what God has to offer. And this verse on the screen, just a confirmation, it says, Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's thy God, the earth also, and all that is therein. God owns a lot. It's not Satan's to give. He never had the authority to give anything. And all the things in this world that you enjoy, God says, well, they're mine. It's my property. With my willingness, you can share the resources of this world. And he encouraged numerous times people to go out and prosper. He encouraged people to use, wisely use the resources of the world to benefit themselves and their families. And the story of Israel when they were divided into tribes and they were given uh, promised lands and the agriculture and the business and industry and the specialty areas of uh, uh, music and metallurgy and those things which God set up, God said, use it. But it was never Satan's to offer it to you. So when Satan said to Jesus Christ, you bow down and worship me and I'll give you everything you can see, wasn't his to give wasn't his to give i give you a question of all the things that this world offers how many of them are offering you eternal life where do you hear about that no one talks about it why because they have no power over life and death what does god talk about life and death because he is the absolute authority when it comes to you you living and being able to keep living uh, time immemorial for you to continue on We'll go into Matthew 13, verse 36. Again, we have another option where there's two choices. And look, the first choice was Jesus simply was able to just cut it right down and say, guys, there's only two choices here, life or death. Satan, I'm not listening to you because you're not offering me anything. You are lying to me. It's not yours to give. If I do what you say, all I'll do is die. I won't get anything. I have a temporary lend of it, and uh, there it is. It's gone. And uh, here he is again expressing this truth about life. Good choices. It's good to choose life, isn't it? Yeah, of course it is. It's good to choose to be alive, and it's good to be able to get your family members in. And, you know, if you're married, it's good to be able to get your wife and your children, your grandchildren. It's good to know that you've got something to offer which will last and won't be taken back from you. And uh, these days you can get your superannuation all lined up and it can be sort of half taken tomorrow. You haven't got a clue what they're going to do with that. But they can't take eternal life from you. That's always in your power. And that's why Jesus spoke about the gospel of life or the gospel of salvation. It was about making the only choice which has an answer to it, which goes on past the time frame of your existence. Any other choice you make ends when you end. And because you've never known what it's like not to be here and you don't know what it's like to be uh, not here at the other end of your life, to you, you think, it's a bit hard to understand. But it's pretty easy to understand because where were you when the dinosaurs were roaming the earth? You weren't here. Where were you? I don't know. I wasn't born. Oh, there you go. You weren't here. Where are you going to be in the next thousand years physically? 
be the same answer. I don't know. I won't be here. Would you like to be here? Well, the answer is a blank stare. Thank you. I will now close up and we'll have communion and uh, I'm wasting my time. Would you like to be here? Don't get too loud. I don't want to scare the chooks. Would you like to be here when the, that thousand years are up? Of course, because it's a choice we make. You know the greatest thing I love about our walk in the Lord? It's one of the few times in your life you actually get to choose your life. Governments want to make choices for us. Political parties want to make choices for it. Our families want to make choices for us. Our workplace want to make choices. The world wants to, the governments of the world want to do this and that. Um, a whole host of people want to make choices for us. And many of the choices I make aren't good for us. But there's one choice you can make, and this is what we're talking about, the choice to live. You can make that and you can keep going because no matter what the human race might do or the governments of the people or any other uh, uh, arrangement of humanity, you choose whether you live or die. It's your choice. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful, knowing that the most important thing in your life you have control over, even if you don't have control over anything else? Very important. Now, here we, here we read in Matthew 13, verse 36, again, talking about choice, it says, Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went to the house... And his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. Because he'd spoken to them in a parable of the, fe the field, when the tares, of choices. And Jesus simply explains this fundamental choice that humanity, every human, needs to make. In verse 37, he answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed, which is the knowledge of life, he said, This is the Son of Man. See, he gave them a choice which they never had before. Before Jesus Christ, what choice did they have? They couldn't have this choice. And he was there giving the people of the whole world a choice which no human had ever had in the same way before. 2,000 years that choice has been available almost, right to now. This choice will vanish when Jesus Christ returns and every other option will vanish with it because if you don't make your choice in this lifetime you don't get to make the choice in the next one. You don't have a next one if you don't make the right one now. If you make the right one now, your life in the next lifetime is ongoing. It's not even a question. It's signed, sealed and delivered. That's God's promise. So he said, the field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that soweth them is the devil, the harvest is the end of this world, and the reapers are the angels. And therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it shall be at the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. He was talking about the choices that people would make with the gospel or rejecting the gospel. That's how simple it was. And he, he makes this very clear parable about the gnashing of teeth, the regretting, the uh, no one. When the Lord returns, there will be no person in this world who will ever believe that they overserve God. Okay, not one person will ever say, oh, I could have done a lot less and still been in the kingdom. No one will ever say that. They'll be so thrilled for the blessing which God has given them that no one will ever say, oh, I should have gone to the Rockies one more time. 
I should have ridden that train one more station. Maybe I should have had just that little bit more of smoked salmon. No one's ever going to say that when the Lord returns. They'll be so thankful that the choice they made was a good one and they're there with the Lord. And again, this simplicity of Jesus going to educated people, uneducated people, young and old, people of mixed uh, emotional and uh, sort of personality uh, backgrounds and being able to speak to them in a way where they could make a good choice. And that's what he did. So are we surprised today that we have brothers and sisters who come out of all these cultures around the world, whether it's in Africa, whether it's in America or South America, uh, whether in Europe or whether we're uh, uh, perhaps in New Guinea and the islands and we've got the Solomons and Vanuatu and Fiji and some of the other places, really doesn't matter. People are making the choice that Jesus offered them and you know what happens? God has a sign with it to give you an indication that you're doing the right thing. Satan didn't offer Jesus a sign. Satan never offers you a sign. But he does make promises that are rarely honoured. You too can be rich. You too can possess the treasures of this world. And the obvious question is, when I die, how do I take them with me? There's a blank stare because that's not the question you're allowed to ask. Because when you die, you can't take anything with you. And dying is not a morbid sense of thing. It's a reality. We speak in real, the real world, we speak in realities and we're not wishing our death, but we are wishing eternal life. And for a spirit-filled person, death is irrelevant. Physical death is just not part of any equation because it has no power over us. Jesus Christ said, the part of you that thinks and breathes, that makes up and lives in your body, your body's a vehicle or a vessel or a shell and it holds your soul and your spirit. Jesus Christ has made a promise that if you make the right choice, he will guard the contents of your vessel in a safe place so it can never be harmed and never lose the ability to live forever. That was his promise. That was the choice. So effectively, every day when we go about our life, we are making choices. But the problem we have is we get so busy making choices we forget that there's only two and we can be busy making 30 and 40 choices but not one of them is about a choice to live. They're all choices in the natural. They're not about eternal life. They're just about living. And this is why the Lord said on its own that's not necessarily an evil thing but on its own it is an evil thing because unless you bring God into your life on a daily basis all of those things and the things you love, the things you enjoy, the things you built your life and memories around, they'll be gone and you're either going to be here or you're not. And that's why God says, make choices. Make, put the spiritual element in your life. That's why God talks about having prayer. That's why we fellowship. That's why we read our Bible. That's why we get involved with sharing the gospel with others as Jesus Christ spoke about the, uh, the tares and the wheat. He went out to sow. That's us. We go out, we sow, and maybe some of us are really good at throwing the seed around the ground and maybe some of us are really good at chipping the, the weeds from the edge of the paddock and other ones of us are good at uh, shooting the foxes that come in and they don't eat wheat, do they? eat lambs, but you know the principle. There it is. So we all have a different role, but we're all tending God's paddock. But if we're not tending the paddock, then every one of our choices is about something which doesn't pertain to eternal life. And in the end, the busyness of bad choices 
and bad choices are not making good ones, the end result of that is when the Lord returns, there's nothing there because you've not made the choice that gives you life. You keep making choices, which are fine, but life is not built in them. And sometimes you can think, oh, I'll take the kids here and I've got to do work and I'll, I'll go and do this and I'll, 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 I'm pretty busy, we'll go over here and do this. All right, that's all good. Nothing wrong. Take your kids out, have a good fun, have a this and that and that. But what spiritual choice have you made about your life today? What spiritual action, choice have you made that is keeping you spiritually alive and fit, keeping you healthy, keeping you in a position? Then the next step, of course, is, well, it's not about you. You're being called into God's kingdom to be a messenger of God's uh, uh, promise. So the next question really is, who have you served today? Who have you been able to help? And again, not in the context of being a busy beaver, being the saviour of the world on your own, but rather being a participant in the many talents that are needed to sustain a fellowship and the word of God in this world. And you don't have to be a key player to be a spiritual servant for the Lord. And you don't have to be the best there is to make a good choice and to seem to be busy. Now, Romans 8 verse 9, we'll turn to that verse. All right, and here we're going to see that Spiritual death is the default position of all humanity. Spiritual death, that's the default position. That's where you end up. And the Lord gives us just, again, a simple step to consider. And even though these are very basic points, they're the points that most people miss. You know people who play cricket, do football, do golf? They have to go back to their uh, charges the people who care for them, their trainers, whatever, their mentors, and they have to go through the basics regularly or they go off their game. Now, you wouldn't reckon that you would need to teach a golfer how to tee up a golf ball and drive it. You reckon they'd have that down pat, wouldn't you? You know, they don't. Different things creep into their style. Different things go wrong. Different thoughts come up. And before long, they're hooking the ball or slicing it or missing it or, or whatever, and they're off their game. And because the game is so critical that so much of their game to be a prize winner has to be right, they lose the polish. They lose the ability. So they go to their trainer and they go right back to the fundamentals of the swing, of the muscle position, of the stance. And it's amazing how many of them say, ah, oh, that's right, I forgot that. And so it is. All sport. So it is with your driving your car. How many people here would pass the driving exam today, the written one? Liars do not enter the kingdom of heaven. No, most of us probably wouldn't get it. We'd, we'd sort of, oh, how close can you park to um, a pedestrian crossing? Oh, eight metres? 10, 20, 15, nine? I don't know. We probably wouldn't get it right. Yeah, the, the approach or the departure? I don't know. I've found that if you park on top of the pedestrian itself, there's usually no problems. But anyway, that's, I've just watched my wife drive. She's pretty good at this stuff, and I've learnt a few lessons. What pedestrian? Oh, the one under the car. Are you okay? Oh, bye. No. Most of us would not pass that type of test again 
And this is why when Jesus and the disciples got together and spoke and later on as apostles and leaders of churches and leaders of congregations and of a worldwide movement, they reminded them from time to time that the basics were vital because the basics is actually your choice whether you live or die. Then the other choices are how, the quality of how you're going to live or the quality of how you're going to die. See, it's choice one, choice two. When you make that, it's in the quality of that choice. But we can't be in a position where we're continually moving from life to death to life to death because that, that's, that's foolish and that undermines a lot of people in their confidence because if you start feeling negative about yourself and, ah, oh, why would God do that for me? And, you know, what have I got to offer and all that? God's sitting there saying, hey, you ask me, I'll do it. Come on, and, and, and you're sitting there going, well, you know, uh, 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 I, I pray and I don't feel any good. And Jesus is saying, well, I feel good when you pray. What do you mean you don't feel good? And you say, oh, I don't feel so good. And, and what happens when God saying, well, don't, don't think like that. That's how Satan says it. That's what he says to you. What happens if God doesn't answer your prayer? What happens if God doesn't hear you? What happens if this? What happens if this is his way, like Jesus had to face on the cross, of undermining confidence that you have in God, getting you to think another way and making a bad choice. So you think, oh, why bother praying? The Lord doesn't listen. He's going, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Come and talk to me. I'm listening. How do we know the Lord listens when you pray? You know how? Your tongue changes instantly. God is with you. He knows. Within a microsecond, he is there giving you other words, words of prayer. How do I know God listens? Because he gives me and facilitates the language as I pray. That's how I know. I have proof. I have evidence. He says here in Romans 8 9, But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if you've made the right choice. If so be, the spirit of God dwells in you, and it's not only you receive the spirit, but it's dwelling you in a sense that you're motivated to live within the boundaries of keeping alive. And that's not a hard thing to do. And uh, it's a wonderful promise. He says here, if so be the Spirit of God dwell in you, then he says this other part of this other question, the other choice. Now, if any man hath not the Spirit of Christ, he is chosen not to be one of his. You've chosen. God doesn't choose. You know, a lot of people fear the judgment of God. When God comes back or Jesus comes back, I'm going to throw myself at the mercy of God. I had Billy Graham say that to me once without a word of a lie. You don't believe me, do you? Well, let me tell you now, we had a brother in the Benalla Assembly in 1978 whose name was Billy Graham. And we were going around telling everyone that Billy Graham had come to revival centres. We had converted Billy Graham now, Billy Graham lived up to his name, sadly. He wasn't all that much interested in the truth of the Scriptures, but he had another choice to make, and he made it so often. And he said, when the Lord comes back, he said, I'm going to throw myself at the Lord's feet. I said, what happens if he's on a mountain? I didn't think of that, but I'll come before him. I said, what happens if you can't reach him? Well, don't be stupid. And this is the type of dialogue I had and, and I said, well, yeah, what are you going to do? And he said, and I will plead for mercy. And look, I was young and stupid then in spiritual matters, hardly knew a thing, but I said, God doesn't determine your future, you do. Where do you meet the Lord or not? It's nothing to do with God's judgment. You choose, if you judge yourself, 
you shall not be judged by the Lord. Is that not true? In other words, we make the choice whether we're going to be with the Lord or not. How do we make that choice? By the choices we make. We either serve the Lord or we don't. We make an effort. We include in the two choices, whether we live or die each day, all the choices which are everything else outside of the spiritual arena, most of which are essential, most of which are important, but do not give you eternal life. But there are choices which do keep you alive spiritually and keep you well-maintained. And as we said earlier, simple things like prayer and your reading and your fellowshipping and the other things associated with communicating and interacting with God, they are choices which give you life. If they're not part of your life, every choice you make is the alternative to living. It's a default position if you leave the life out. If you put the life in, then the other choices start working and multiplying. Then God blesses. He say, put your hand to the plough, I'll bless your work. You choose this, I'll multiply it for you. You go to the left, I'll give you this. You go to the right, I'll give you that. He said, you choose, I'll do it for you. But choices need to be made, and that's what's important. Now, just to conclude, let's turn to Acts 2, verse 37. And we're going to just have a look again. For the first time, in a way that people could understand on the day of Pentecost where they were faced with something they'd never seen before. People actually were receiving the Holy Spirit. They were speaking in another tongue as Jesus had preached. And this event was different than anything they'd ever seen. A lot of them knew that Bible prophecy was happening but didn't know what it was. A lot of them knew that God was acting but didn't have a clear understanding. So Peter stood up and said, this is the result of the choices that these people have made. Then he quoted some of the prophets, how they said that this would happen. He quoted this, he quoted that, quoted Jesus. And the, after the people heard that, they realised that they'd murdered or actively not prevented the murder of Jesus Christ. Or they were just totally irrelevant to anything, but realised that the debt against humanity was huge and it needed to be adjusted. So they all came before Peter and asked a very good question, saying that they understood that a choice needed to be made. Now the evidence was on the table. And it says in verse 37, when they heard this, Jesus had, uh, sorry, Peter had just expressed how they'd chosen to kill Christ and uh, deny everything he'd done. And now here's the Holy Spirit being poured out, being quoted, they were pricked in their heart. In other words, they were motivated spiritually to make a choice. So their, their choice was, they said to Peter, to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What do I have to do next? What choice do I need to make if I'm going to have a resolution to my life? And he said in verse 38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent. Be baptised, which simply in the Bible pattern means to be fully immersed in water. Repent, be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, as it happened earlier in this chapter, the Holy Spirit came, they spoke in tongues, that's how they knew they'd received the Spirit. So as he's talking, the context of you receiving the Holy Spirit includes the knowledge that they had seen and heard and it was a promise and this promise of what they'd seen and heard would continue on 
And he said, for the promise in verse 39, the promise is to you, even to your children, and to all, that means all humanity, who are far off, both in time and location to Jerusalem, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. All right, you've asked me, what choice do we need to make? What is the topic? The topic is life and death. What choice do I need to make? How can I fix the problem I'm in? And this was the answer. Repent, be baptised, receive the Holy Spirit, you'll speak in tongues. Then, of course, the myriad of scriptures all through the uh, separate epistles written to the many churches of how to live within the Spirit, how to pray, how to fellowship, how to witness, how to outreach, how to use the gifts in the meeting, all of these numerous spiritual responsibilities which would come after you made the right choice. I'd like to summarise for every one of you that every choice we make which doesn't involve the Holy Spirit is a natural choice. It cannot enhance our spiritual life in any way whatsoever. Every choice we make spiritually that is to be involved in the power of the Spirit enhances our life no end. And it then multiplies the other choices we make naturally. In other words, our workplace, our relationships, our families and all the other things, many of which we don't always have control over. In fact, some we have no control over. But they're then benefiting from this. What happens if we go into our workplace or our home and we make all those choices to do all this and leave God out the equation? There's no multiplier. There's no benefit to what we do because it's not being blessed by God unless we invite God in to be part of the day. And of course, this is where God says that if we do things in his power, he will bless us more than we would ever have been blessed. He will enrich us more than we would ever have been rich. He will open our minds up to thinking, not only spiritually, but when you've got a clear mind and a a clear thought process, you're able to make far better decisions in your family, in your workplace, and all the other things you do. In fact, you're able, as I've been able to do and many people here have been able to do, we have gone to family members and shared what we have learnt because we made a choice to serve God. Many of us have been rejected flatly out of hand. But at the same time, sometimes years later, the same family members who rejected us have come along and received the Holy Spirit. They've made choices for themselves and their friends have followed. Hence, we have a room full of people. This is what revival comes from people who make good choices. And here you are today, you've made a good choice to be here. You understand that this is a spiritual choice? And sometimes you can sit here, your brain's a bit numb and you're trying to work it all out and maybe you don't know what God's got in store for you. Maybe there's a few things not working. That's okay. The Lord hasn't returned yet. This world's not perfect yet. Okay, and Malcolm Turnbull's not going to fix it. Let me tell you, any more then the CFMEU is going to fix it. It's not going to be fixed. It's unfixable. That's what the Lord talks about. That's why Jesus Christ is coming back. Our choices today mean that whatever might happen in our life, whether good or evil or a mixture of anything, don't worry about it. The Lord said, I will give you the best possible for you in your circumstances. Isn't that a remarkable promise? And the reason it's remarkable is God has the power to do it. I can wish everyone well, but I don't have the power to change their lives. I have the power to encourage them, but I don't actually have that physical power where I change them. When you go to the Lord, 
He has the power. So you make good choices. The power, the source of the power is upon you and it's a wonderful thing. And uh, look, just to close as a thought, in James he says here, if you submit, it's in the notes, if you want them, James 4, 7, he says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Choose God. And what happens? If you choose God, that means you can resist the devil. And what happens? He will flee from you. The pressures and options which he continually throws in your face won't weigh you down because they'll cease to flow your way. But it involves making good choices first. And for a spirit-filled person, let us move now to spirit-filled people. For a spirit-filled person, if you can start your thinking process and your actions to be godly-based at the beginning, there are going to be less choices to make in the day which would work against you because God will make sure that you're kept in a safe place. He will make sure that the resistance you put up will be so good that Satan will abandon you simply that he has nothing to grab hold of. Isn't that a wonderful promise? Anyone here today who doesn't have the Holy Spirit, I'd like to make your day with God's promise. And that is, God has given you a choice, not me, I'm not giving it a choice. God has given you the choice. If you'd like to have the Holy Spirit and you don't have it, if you would like to have the type of life where the assurance of God is there and you've regularly got communication with God, then you need to simply make a couple of steps in his direction. None of them will cost you any money. None of them will cost you anything of your asset base. None of them are painful. None of them will interrupt your emotional life in any way. All you need to do is agree that you need to repent, which means to have another way of thinking. God asks you to be baptised in water. He then asks you to pray for the Holy Spirit. These things require your attitude committed to God and simply in prayer make your petition. That's all it is. So simple. And God will do the rest. Then it's up to you.